Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. So glad that you joined me today. And today we are talking about the issue of trust. Now, back in 2015, we also did a show on trust, and I'm going to get from the archives that date. So if you want to look on the podcast, you can also listen to that one. And that was about trusting God. So this is more about trusting other humans, trusting ourselves, and what the dynamics are when it comes to trusting and how we trust and how we do it well and what gets in the way of why we don't trust well. So I'm sorry we have some strange sounds happening. All right, I think we're okay now. So this issue of trust really emanates from God. And, and one of the things that, that, that show in 2015 why that was so powerful is that was really about trusting God, and that is the basis of trust. So I want to read you two verses that I like to use as kind of the platform for this. And this is Proverbs 3. Verses 5 through 7, and this says, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. So I'm going to read that one more time because that's important to really hear the, the, the real message of the heart of this passage it's Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. It says, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one that will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. And Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he, as he has said, he will do it, or has he has spoken, and he will make it good. And so God is not a man that he should lie. This is imperative when we think about the issue of trust, because one of the, the biggest issues that harm trust is lying. And so I'm going, so one of the things that I have understood that, that God really gave me some insight about myself is I, I said to myself, wow, trust is a word I understand until I actually have to do it. I, I wonder if that makes sense to you. Trust is a word I understand until I actually have to do it. So it doesn't really feel like that heavy of a word until I actually have to carry it out. So trust is a very weighty word and a very complex word. And so my trust always needs to start and stop with God, not with me. It's not in me to do the trust. So I always want to start and stop with God, not relying on me to always be able to trust people. So I need to remember that I can't trust me like I can trust God. God is trustworthy always. 
I am not. And we remind ourselves that I can be a trustworthy person for the most part, but I am not 100% trustworthy. God is perfect. He is always trustworthy. And as I trust in God, as he is making me into a more trustworthy person, the more I trust in God, the more trustworthy I become because I become more like God. So I looked up some quotes about trust and I always like to look at quotes because I think they give us a a really interesting way to really understand a concept and a construct. And so Warren Buffett says, it takes 20 years to build a reputation, five minutes to ruin it. It can, and we can even interpose the word relationship. It can take 20 years to build a really solid relationship. Five minutes to ruin it. One act, one egregious act, one misstep. And I'm not talking about little things. I'm talking about those character things that that we know are problematic. And so what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that trust, we need to protect it and we need to treasure it. Because it can be wiped out in one step. And so listen to this one. This is Ernest Hemingway. He says, the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. So isn't that such an oxymoron? It means we need to take risks. It means that there is no human on the planet that is ever going to be perfectly trustworthy. So I can't wait until I think they are necessarily trustworthy before I trust them. Sometimes we just need to trust. Because as an adult, I know that I can also heal from the brokenness of of, of a mistrust. So the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. You just simply try. Now, when I work with clients, I I remind myself, I don't trust them with everything. I trust them with small things. And if they are trustworthy in the small things, then I'm going to give them more to trust them with. So I like this one. This is from Ronald Reagan. And he says, trust but verify. I like that one. And so what does that mean? That means that when it comes to trusting, we need to not be naive or lazy. So we don't just simply trust someone because we heard good things about them. We don't just trust them because we've seen them on television. We don't just trust them because they're the pastor of the church. We trust because we need to find out if someone is trustworthy by trusting them. But we verify. We check things out. We watch. We notice things. So we're not naive and we're not lazy in the relationship that we are building. I have one more for you. This is Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he says, Wise men put their trust in ideas and not in circumstances. I mean, that one's very powerful. Wise men put their trust in ideas and not in circumstances. So when we look at the word circumstance, what we're saying to ourselves is things may not be always as, as, as they seem. And time always tells. So I need to be mature enough to allow for time. So I need to be mature enough to say, you know, I've heard so many good things about this person. I've gotten good reports about this person. I have researched this person. I'm not sure I'm really liking this person. So I might need to trust the idea of this person. 
and not the circumstance in the moment that I'm not appreciating. So it means I give someone time to show me if they are trustworthy by initially trusting them. So what areas in your life are hard to trust God? What are the areas that you have a hard time trusting in? What are the areas that you have a hard time trusting people in? Is it your future? You have a hard time trusting God with your future, your health, your kids, your finances, having friends, keeping friends? Do you have a hard time trusting God for your job, keeping your job or getting a job? How about your calling? Do you have a hard time trusting God about what you think he's called you to do or if you have one? Do you have a hard time trusting God that you're fully forgiven or that you are loved or that you will be loved? Do you have a hard time trusting God in knowing that you are wanted? What about feeling competent? Sometimes God gives us a task, and we don't think we're competent to do it. But God has brought the task to us. So what is the area you struggle in with trust? What are the areas you struggle? Either with God, with humans, other humans, with yourself. What don't you trust yourself about? Do you not trust yourself to keep a confidence? Do you not trust yourself with finances? Do you not trust yourself to not overeat or not overindulge in things? Do you not trust yourself to, to not be bitter or, or to be able to forgive? What are the areas that you need to work on being trustworthy with yourself? So it's really in God's hands. It is really a trust issue. Do we trust God or not? And one of the things that helps me in my own life is when I remind myself of that. And when, when things seem precarious or scary or uncertain or maybe I've messed up or maybe somebody else messed up and, and it's affected my life, I say to myself, do I trust God or not? Because it really comes down to God. I do the best I can. I'm, I'm counting on others. I'm hoping that others are doing the best they can. And then in that imperfection... It really does matter, and it really does depend on God. And so what did Emerson tell us? We trust in the idea of God, not in the circumstances. So who does God say he is, regardless of what our circumstances feel like? Do you trust God? And if you don't, if you struggle with that, and I think if we were to all be honest with ourselves, we might say, yeah, we trust the idea of trusting God. Yeah, we like that idea. But do I really trust him? And I think if we were to be honest, we would say that there are times in my life where I might not trust God. I might not trust him to do what I think he needs to do. Or that he really cares about me or really loves me or is going to really be there for me. So we're going to talk in this next segment about how trustworthy our God is. I'm going to give you this really amazing statistic. It says that, that there are 31,174 verses in the Bible. And that Psalms 118 verse 8 is the middle verse of those 31,174 verses. And that verse says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Is that so fascinating? That's amazing to me. So it's interesting and instructive that God's absolute trustworthiness should be mentioned in that verse. The very core middle of the Bible says, It is better to trust in, Lord, in the Lord than to put confidence 
in men. Now that does not mean we don't trust because trust is the cornerstone of relationship. We can't have relationships without trust. But what God is saying is, don't put men before me. It's better to trust in me than to put all your confidence in a mortal. They will let you down. I will not let you down. And so throughout the Old Testament, we're reminded of the fact that God can be trusted at all times and in all circumstances. And so I'm going to give you a couple of verses, and then we're going to go into the break. Psalms 62, 8, Psalms 56, 3, Job 13, 15, and Isaiah 50, 10. I encourage you to look those up. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment. Make sure that you see um, all the different shows on the podcast, which is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you in the next segment. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today. If you're just tuning in, I want to make sure that you can find me on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. It also has many of the shows, the most current shows. You can also find these shows on different podcasts such as SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. And you can listen to the shows in their entirety. And so we're talking about the issue of trust and what trust really is. And I was ending that last segment by saying that there are 31,174 verses in the Bible and that Psalms 118 verse 8 is the exact middle verse of the Bible. And it says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Now, that does not mean, again, that we don't trust mortals. We have to trust mortals. Otherwise, we can't have relationship with people. But it does mean that it's better to put our trust in God than it is to rely solely on a man, on a mortal. So throughout the Old Testament, we get reminded of the fact that God can be trusted. And there are no less than 76 references to trusting God. And in the New Testament, we use actually the word faith, which is equivalent to the Old Testament use of trust. So how we are to understand what it means to have trust in God. See, the word trust means to have confidence in, to be sure about, to lean on, to depend upon, to take refuge. Trust and faith in a person or in God means it implies a firm belief in the reliability, the honesty, the strength, and the ability of that person or thing. So we trust, like let's say you live on the second floor of a building, we trust that floor is going to hold you. We have faith in it. I have faith in my car. Now, you have to remember that this is what God is talking about. Ultimate trust and faith is solely relegated to God. But that does not mean that here on earth we don't trust and have faith in certain things, in certain people. So, Think for a moment how hard it would be to get through a single day without exercising trust. See, I trust that other drivers are going to stop at the stoplight. It's the fabric of of our whole living. It's the fabric of our whole society and of the whole earth. We trust that the oceans are not going to overwhelm us. We trust that the sun isn't going to move too close and burn up the earth. We trust these things without even knowing that we trust it. We trust the air that we breathe. 
And so this text, that it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. We might just ask, why is it safer to trust in God than trust in man? Well, let's look at one of the reasons that we want to trust first in God, then in mortal man. So we know that God is totally trustworthy. Men are not. David was betrayed by men, Absalom, Saul. And it's possible that maybe you and I have been disappointed by people we have trusted. I know I have. I've had several people in my life, numerous people actually, that have let me down terribly, that I loved very deeply. And so we're going to talk in the last segment about the issue of trustworthiness versus being perfect. And that if someone is trustworthy, that does not mean that they are perfect. It doesn't mean they won't make mistakes. So God is totally trustworthy. God is almighty. On the other hand, man is limited. God is good. On the other hand, man is selfish. And God is wise and knows what's best for us. But men don't always know. Mortals don't always know what's best. And there are emergencies when mortals can't help us, even if they're willing. But there is no circumstance in which God cannot help. So mortals are limited to this life, but God helps extend eternity. He extends all the way into eternity. So mortals cannot meet the most important needs of the human heart, but God can reach into the deepest recesses of our heart. God can remove guilt. God can remove the blight of sin. God can bring everlasting eternal peace. So God invites us to put our trust in him. So we want to really establish this idea that the first place we are to trust is always God. We put our trust in God because God is so good about wisdom. And the more we know the heart of God, the more we know wisdom. The more we know truth, the more we are better able to discern who to trust and how much to trust them. And so what I want you to think about, why is this so important, this issue of trust? Why does God continually establish for us how trustworthy he is? He keeps showing us that we can trust him. He keeps telling us we can trust him. Why is this so important? I'm going to tell you. He knows his design. He understands the architecture of the humans he created. Trust is the first stage of development in every human life. It is the first building block that all other developmental processes are built upon. Trust is the first thing you learn. As soon as you are out of your mother's womb and are being cared for by mortals, trust is the first thing you learn. So I'm going to talk to you about this issue of trust and what th this idea, this developmental process is called trust versus mistrust. And what this does at an existential level in your little psyche, it's not necessarily a cognitive understanding at that point because we're infants, but the trust versus mistrust developmental process actually is answering the existential question for me as to whether or not I can trust the world. That's what it's doing for me. The more a baby can trust its caregivers, the more that person thinks he can trust the world around him. 
And this is imperative for being able to take risks in your little life. Being able to trust the world around you is imperative for calming down the sympathetic nervous system so that the brain develops appropriately. And so the body is not overly stressed with adrenaline. Being able to trust the world around you and your caregivers allows you to relax and to learn day after day, minute after minute, what it means to be a human outside your mother's womb in, in the world. And it, it sounds very strange, and it is very existential, but it is a very important process. If I don't think the world is trustworthy, then I will be operating out of a spirit of fear all the time. I will be a very upset little baby who cannot trust, which then makes it very difficult for me to know how to get my needs met. Makes it very difficult for me to relax enough to learn the next stages of development. And so this trust versus mistrust is the first stage, and this is Eric Erickson's um, theory, and it centers around that infant's basic needs being met by parents and the interaction leading to trust or mistrusting them. So this is an essential issue of truthfulness of others. And remember, truth is one of the things that causes us to be able to trust. Are my parents truthful caregivers in terms of the way they are caring for me? Do they truly love me? This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this developmental process of trust versus mistrust. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Have a blessed day if I don't get to have you in the next segment. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and we are talking today about trust and do you trust and how powerful trust is and how imperative trust is in making our whole entire life work, how much we have to trust. And we're going to talk in the next segment, the very last segment, on how to know who is trustworthy and how to actually be wise when you are trusting. So we left off in this last segment talking about this developmental process. One of Eric Erickson's, he's a very famous um, psychoanalytic uh, therapist, psychologist, doctor, that really came up with a theory that has been tested and tried throughout time. And this is the theory of developmental processes and how we grow developmentally. And that he identifies that the first stage, the first developmental stage of every human is trust versus mistrust. And this is when the infant begins to depend on the parents, especially the mother, for sustenance and for comfort. And the child's relative understanding of the world and society come from the parents and their interaction with the child. And so a child's first trust is always established with the parent or the caregiver. And so what happens is if the parents expose the child to warmth, regularity, dependable affection the infant's view of the world will be one of trust. And we want infants to initially trust the world because that helps with healthy risk-taking. That helps with all kinds of other developmental processes that need to occur. So if the parents fail to provide that secure environment and they don't meet a child's basic needs, 
that sense of mistrust will result. And that leads to feelings of frustration, suspicion, withdrawal, and a severe lack of confidence. And so I don't want to, to discourage you into thinking, you know, because all of us have mistake-making parents, and none of our parents are perfect. And so some of our parents were not able to give us that feeling of security, and they were not able to give us that, that ability to have that confidence. But what we know is that humans are evolutionary creatures in how they evolve while they grow up. And I'm not saying evolution is in Darwinism. And so it's important that we recognize that we are able to adapt. And so what we understand about the trust versus mistrust, why this is so powerful, is the existential concept that comes from trusting the world means I have at the core of my being a sense of hope. That's the virtue that comes from this developmental stage. If I effectively do that developmental stage, I come out of that stage at about the age of two with a lot of hope. I have hope for my life, hope for the world, hope for all kinds of things. Now, obviously, it's not cognitive yet. It's a feeling. It's an experience. And so the mastery of every stage is not necessarily required to advance, obviously, because the, the outcome of one stage isn't necessarily permanent, and it gets modified by our experiences, so we get what we call corrective experiences. So if I don't have great experiences at the trust versus mistrust stage, and I continue to develop, develop on, and I go into my adult life, and I find relationships where people are very trustworthy and care deeply for me, they undo a lot of what that first stage did, and we redo what needs to happen, and my hope is increased. And so, again, some of us, you know, we had parents and caregivers that appropriately and effectively handled that step, and some didn't. But our trust is always first to be in God, who does not lie, and he is our hope. So then we must work our way down. Do I trust myself do I trust others? So I first start with God. And if I didn't get the caregiving I needed from zero to two years old, I do have the Heavenly Father that is eternally trustworthy. And I am always to put my hope in Him because God knows who He gives people to. He's giving children to mistake-making humans that also may have missed some of those stages. And so we don't ever want to judge our parents. It doesn't mean that we're going to pretend like it didn't happen. But we want to realize that God had a plan when he gave us those parents. And that my ultimate trust has to be in God. And he can heal much of that trust issue and restore hope for me. Because where does hope truly lie? That's in my trust in God. So I trust in God so I have hope for my life because God is the perfect parent. So I want to encourage you that if any of this is resonating with you, that you look up these verses about trust and who your Heavenly Father really is and who Jesus is. They deserve our trust. This is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment as we talk about being trustworthy and how we do that with other humans. 
Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. I'll join you and join me in the next segment. Well, welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are in the last segment of our show today on trust. And do you trust me? This is the question. Do you trust me? That's what we say to each other. That's what we say to ourselves. That's what God says to us. And so we talked about some developmental issues, which is the trust versus mistrust stage of our of every human's existence and actually every mammal's existence. And so we begin to understand that trust is earned. And through history, it is built and established. God works hard at establishing trust with us. And so I, I like what um, th- this man is, Dr. Dwayne C. Tiway, Dwayne C. Tiway Jr., and he did his dissertation in 1993 on the three constructs of trust. And I really like how he breaks this down. He says that trust is the state of readiness for an unguarded interaction with someone or something. It's the state of readiness. It's like I get in my car, I'm ready, and I have an unguarded interaction with the car. I start it up, I expect it to turn on. I expect it to drive the way it's supposed to. I do this with people. I show up here at the station, state of readiness for an unguarded interaction with my producer, Jeremy, who is always very helpful to me. And I expect a certain interaction with him. And so this trust, what Dr. Tiway has identified, is that it's based on three components. And it's first based on the capacity for trusting, which we talked about in the last segment. Do I have the capacity for trust? Did I learn that growing up? The second one is the perception of competence. Like I said, with my car, I've learned to trust. My perception of competence is that my car will start and drive fine. And the third one is the perception of intentions. So when I'm interacting with someone, I'm initially going to trust them until I don't trust them. I'm not going to be suspicious and have a mistrust way of interacting where I won't trust you until you absolutely prove yourself to me. I'm going to initially trust you. And then what I'm going to see is, what's the competence So the perception of competence is that I believe that you are going to follow through with who I think you are. And the perception of intention, it means that I'm going to trust that you are a good person and that your words, your actions, direction, the decisions are motivated. The reason you're interacting with me and the things that you are doing, I'm going to perceive them as positive, positive intentions. Basically, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. This is what trust is about when we are trusting other humans. I'm initially coming with a capacity to trust, so I will trust you until I don't trust you. Now, this doesn't mean blind trust. I'm going to trust you until I don't, until you prove to me that you're not trustworthy. And I'm going to perceive competence. So I'm going to assume that I have the competence for the relationship. I have the competence to follow through with what you want me to do. I'm going to perceive that you have the competence to do what I need. And then the third thing is, if you are not acting as competently as I, as I prefer, I'm going to believe your intentions are good and that you can correct it. And I will give you space and time to correct it. So trust can only be established when based on and in truth. Truth is the basis for psychological health and wholeness, as is trust. And so 
As we discussed earlier, the first stage of psychological development in all humans is the trust versus mistrust. Can I trust the one caring for me? Can I trust the world? Well, truth helps me trust. See, when people are trustworthy, I experience truth, and truth always sets me free. This is why God takes lying so seriously. One lie can take down years of trust. Because truth is is the bed that trust lies in. So Numbers 23.19, remember, says God is not a man that he should lie. When he has spoken, it will be made good. When he says he will do something, he will do it. This is competency, and this is us believing his intentions toward us. So the power of trust is immeasurable. Think of the power Adolf Hitler had because people believed in him, trusted him. Think of the power, the enemy, that Satan has over you when you trust his lies, when you believe his lies. But in contrast, think of the power you give a child when you believe in them, in their potential and their abilities. Think of how empowering it is when you trust a friend, you trust your spouse or your partner. Everything is built on trust. That's the bedrock of this world. We trust that the solar system will stay in place. So one of the most valuable things I teach my patients is the issue of trust. I teach them how to trust, who to trust, when to trust, how much to trust, how to keep on trusting, as well as being a trustworthy person. So we all know how it feels when trust is broken. And or if we have broken another's trust. So more than anything, I want to give you a chance to be a trusting person again as you begin to trust. This time with some wisdom so that you get the payoff of trusting with healthy risk-taking, not blind trust. So what happens when I don't trust, when I won't take a risk and trust God or another person? Well, without trust, I cannot feel or receive love authentically, and I can't give love authentically. Why is that? Well, because I will withhold. I will second-guess, maybe paranoid, suspicious, all trying to protect myself not realizing this only sabotages the effects of healthy trust. When I am not able to healthfully trust, I cannot truly feel hopeful or confident, and I will constantly second-guess and doubt, and it will inhibit my relationships, my sense of belonging, and it results in a feeling that I'm not truly wanted or liked. So it will cause this struggle. It will create a struggle with fulfillment, connectedness, and feeling content. When I struggle with trust, I will feel mostly pleasure or pain, and life becomes very unidimensional. Now, this is very important. This is how people under the age of 12 feel. There are no shades of gray, which means my inability to trust you means I'm needing you to be perfect. And it means I watch everything. Every moment determines whether the person is trustworthy or not. Versus having the ability to trust until trust is broken. See, therefore, this person lives to avoid pain. The person that struggles with mistrust lives to avoid pain, always feeling as if they're surviving. And this results in pleasure-seeking behavior. This is surviving. It is not thriving. So firstly, we must remember we're no longer infants or little children. So trust is now a choice. 
versus children who have to trust and experience trust as a given. They just assume you are a trustworthy parent. So even if trust was broken or not perfect, which is inevitable to some degree considering we're being cared for by imperfect and mistake-making adults, we know that our past does not have to define or determine our future. We have a choice to learn to trust well and heal when trust is broken. As a result, here we go, we're going to address what it means to trust through the eyes of an adult versus trusting through the eyes of a child. Childlike trust is solely reserved for our Heavenly Father, for Jesus. They are the saviors of our soul. And so they get childlike trust. They deserve childlike trust. But as an adult, I have to trust through the eyes of an adult. So what does that mean? Adults do not live in a black and white world where things are either all or nothing, good or bad. As in, I either trust you completely or I don't trust you at all. We should never put another adult in the position to be perfect. It is a recipe for failure. A childlike belief is that I or you must be perfect to be trustworthy. So trustworthiness and perfection do not go hand in hand. I do not have to be perfect to be trusted. Because remember, we go back to Dr. T. Ways, where he's talked about perception of competence and perception of intentions. Positive intentions do go a long way. This is what we have, positive intentions, while I'm trying to be the person God called me to be. I'm doing the best that I can. And I, and I care more about being better for you than you might. So this is the gift we give to one another, is that we continue to work on being the best person that we can be. So, so number two, we consider and we develop our own levels of trust. So ask yourself, and when we talk about levels of trust, how quickly do I trust? What do I trust this person with? How much history is necessary for differing levels of information? That means how long do I need to know somebody before I start revealing certain things to them about who I am or my past? This is why for, for psychotherapists, we have that great big license and confidentiality because the person's walking in and they're telling me all kinds of things the first time I meet them. Well, that's not wise to do with the average human. So remember, trust is earned and consequently treasured. This means if I mess up, I should be allowed to earn back your trust in a realistic manner. So when we talk about levels of trust, you as an adult need to decide how quickly am I going to trust this person? What am I going to trust them with? What do I expect from them? How big is, is, the, is the misstep that they made? How long will it take to correct it and restore trust? So adults recognize and understand that trusting people is a risk. And God risks on us because God calls us friends. And we are a big risk. God is not a risk. We are a risk. And I continually tell my clients every day, relationships, people are a gamble. They are all a risk. And you need to be wise as to how risky that human is. So I acknowledge that I will be hurt, that I will have times of disappointment, etc., that I'm an adult, and I'm adult enough to forgive, as I will need forgiveness, and as Christ has forgiven me. 
So I have to say to myself as an adult when I'm working on trustworthiness with others and myself, what is a non-negotiable? See, there are things that are forgivable because everything is forgivable. Everything is forgivable. But forgiveness does not mean the restoration of intimacy. So I can forgive someone a grave misstep, a huge injury. That doesn't mean I'm going to restore the relationship because I'm not God. So I may not be able to be in relationship with them. That doesn't mean I don't forgive. So I have to understand the shades of gray and be thankful that as an adult, I have the choice as to who I trust, how much I trust, and even if I want to trust. So trustworthy people, they take responsibility for their mistakes. They are humble. They apologize without excuses or blame. They manage their defensiveness, and they are truthful. They feel bad. They care if they hurt you, and they take seriously what hurts you. So ask yourself, do I trust God? Do I trust myself? Do I trust others? And it's natural for humans to want to trust other humans first before they trust themselves and before they trust an intangible entity like God. But it is where hope truly lies. The virtue accomplished when I learn to trust is hope. I trust in hope, and I have hope for my life. So I want you to really think about this issue of trust. What are the areas I need to work on? Do I not trust myself? What do I need to do to be more trustworthy with myself? That helps me be more trustworthy with others. What do I need to forgive myself for and others for? What are my expectations? Are they appropriate expectations of people? Do I have no shades of gray where if you don't call me back, I get just as hurt or mistrust you just as much as if you stole money from me? Do I not know the different gradations of trespass. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and I pray that you become a more trustworthy person as you wisely trust those around you and that you always trust God first. Make sure you check out my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week, and God bless you. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, You can hear a replay at any time at faithtalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Well, welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and we are in the last segment of our show today on trust. And do you trust me? This is the question. Do you trust me? That's what we say to each other. That's what we say to ourselves. That's what God says to us. And so we talked about some developmental issues, which is the trust versus mistrust stage of our of every human's existence and actually every mammal's existence. And so we begin to understand that trust is earned. And through history, it is built and established. God works hard at establishing trust with us. 
And so I, I like what um, th- this man is, Dr. Dwayne C. Tway, Dwayne C. Tway Jr., and he did his dissertation in 1993 on the three constructs of trust. And I really like how he breaks this down. He says that trust is the state of readiness for an unguarded interaction with someone or something. It's the state of readiness. It's like I get in my car, I'm ready. And I have an unguarded interaction with the car. I start it up, I expect it to turn on. I expect it to drive the way it's supposed to. I do this with people. I show up here at the station, state of readiness for an unguarded interaction with my producer, Jeremy, who is always very helpful to me. And I expect a certain interaction with him. And so this trust, what Dr. Tway has identified, is that it's based on three components. And it's first based on the capacity for trusting, which we talked about in the last segment. Do I have a, the capacity for trust? Did I learn that growing up? The second one is the perception of competence. Like I said, with my car, I've learned to trust. My perception of competence is that my car will start and drive fine. And the third one is the perception of intentions. So when I'm interacting with someone, I'm initially going to trust them until I don't trust them. I'm not going to be suspicious and have a mistrust way of interacting where I won't trust you until you absolutely prove yourself to me. I'm going to initially trust you. And then what I'm going to see is, what's the competence So the perception of competence is that I believe that you are going to follow through with who I think you are. And the perception of intention, it means that I'm going to trust that you are a good person and that your words, your actions, direction, the decisions are motivated. The reason you're interacting with me and the things that you are doing, I'm going to perceive them as positive, positive intentions. Basically, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. This is what trust is about when we are trusting other humans. I'm initially coming with a capacity to trust, so I will trust you until I don't trust you. Now, this doesn't mean blind trust. I'm going to trust you until I don't, until you prove to me that you're not trustworthy. And I'm going to perceive competence. So I'm going to assume that I have the competence for the relationship. I have the competence to follow through with what you want me to do. I'm going to perceive that you have the competence to do what I need. And then the third thing is, if you are not acting as competently as I, as I prefer, I'm going to believe your intentions are good and that you can correct it. And I will give you space and time to correct it. So trust can only be established when based on and in truth. Truth is the basis for psychological health and wholeness, as is trust. And so... As we discussed earlier, the first stage of psychological development in all humans is the trust versus mistrust. Can I trust the one caring for me? Can I trust the world? Well, truth helps me trust. See, when people are trustworthy, I experience truth, and truth always sets me free. This is why God takes lying so seriously. One lie can take down years of trust. Because truth is is the bed that trust lies in. So Numbers 23.19, remember, says God is not a man that he should lie. When he has spoken, it will be made good. When he says he will do something, he will do it. This is competency 
And this is us believing his intentions toward us. So the power of trust is immeasurable. Think of the power Adolf Hitler had because people believed in him, trusted him. Think of the power, the enemy, that Satan has over you when you trust his lies, when you believe his lies. But in contrast, think of the power you give a child when you believe in them, in their potential and their abilities. Think of how empowering it is when you trust a friend, you trust your spouse or your partner. Everything is built on trust. That's the bedrock of this world. We trust that the solar system will stay in place. So one of the most valuable things I teach my patients is the issue of trust. I teach them how to trust, who to trust, when to trust, how much to trust, how to keep on trusting, as well as being a trustworthy person. So we all know how it feels when trust is broken. And or if a broke, we have broken another's trust. So more than anything, I want to give you a chance to be a trusting person again as you begin to trust. This time with some wisdom so that you get the payoff of trusting with healthy risk-taking, not blind trust. So what happens when I don't trust, when I won't take a risk and trust God or another person? Well, without trust, I cannot feel or receive love authentically, and I can't give love authentically. Why is that? Well, because I will withhold. I will second-guess, maybe paranoid, suspicious, all trying to protect myself not realizing this only sabotages the effects of healthy trust. When I am not able to healthfully trust, I cannot truly feel hopeful or confident, and I will constantly second-guess and doubt, and it will inhibit my relationships, my sense of belonging, and it results in a feeling that I'm not truly wanted or liked. So it will cause this struggle. It will create a struggle with fulfillment, connectedness, and feeling content. When I struggle with trust, I will feel mostly pleasure or pain, and life becomes very unidimensional. Now, this is very important. This is how people under the age of 12 feel. There are no shades of gray, which means my inability to trust you means I'm needing you to be perfect. And it means I watch everything. Every moment determines whether the person is trustworthy or not versus having the ability to trust until trust is broken. See, therefore, this person lives to avoid pain. The person that struggles with mistrust lives to avoid pain, always feeling as if they're surviving. And this results in pleasure-seeking behavior. This is surviving. It is not thriving. So firstly, we must remember we're no longer infants or little children. So trust is now a choice versus children who have to trust and experience trust as a given. They just assume you are a trustworthy parent. So even if trust was broken or not perfect, which is inevitable to some degree considering we're being cared for by imperfect and mistake-making adults, we know that our past does not have to define or determine our future. We have a choice to learn to trust well and heal when trust is broken. As a result... Here we go. We're going to address what it means to trust through the eyes of an adult versus trusting through the eyes of a child. Childlike trust is solely reserved for our Heavenly Father, for Jesus. They are the saviors of our soul. 
And so they get childlike trust. They deserve childlike trust. But as an adult, I have to trust through the eyes of an adult. So what does that mean? Adults do not live in a black and white world where things are either all or nothing, good or bad. As in, I either trust you completely or I don't trust you at all. We should never put an another adult in the position to be perfect. It is a recipe for failure. A childlike belief is that I or you must be perfect to be trustworthy. So trustworthiness and perfection do not go hand in hand. I do not have to be perfect to be trusted. Because remember, we go back to Dr. T. Ways, where he's talked about perception of competence and perception of intentions. Positive intentions do go a long way. This is what we have, positive intentions while I'm trying to be the person God called me to be. I'm doing the best that I can. And I, and I care more about being better for you than you might. So this is the gift we give to one another, is that we continue to work on being the best person that we can be. So, cons- so number two, we consider and we develop our own levels of trust. So ask yourself, and when we talk about levels of trust, how quickly do I trust? What do I trust this person with? How much history is necessary for differing levels of information? That means how long do I need to know somebody before I start revealing certain things to them about who I am or my past? This is why for for psychotherapists, we have that great big license and confidentiality because the person's walking in and they're telling me all kinds of things the first time I meet them. Well, that's not wise to do with the average human. So remember, trust is earned and consequently treasured. This means if I mess up, I should be allowed to earn back your trust in a realistic manner. So when we talk about levels of trust, you as an adult need to decide how quickly am I going to trust this person? What am I going to trust them with? What do I expect from them? How big is, is, the, is the misstep that they made? How long will it take to correct it and restore trust? So adults recognize and understand that trusting people is a risk. And God risks on us because God calls us friends. And we are a big risk. God is not a risk. We are a risk. And I continually tell my clients every day, relationships, people are a gamble. They are all a risk. And you need to be wise as to how risky that human is. So I acknowledge that I will be hurt, that I will have times of disappointment, etc., that I'm an adult, and I'm adult enough to forgive, as I will need forgiveness, and as Christ has forgiven me. So I have to say to myself as an adult, when I'm working on trustworthiness with others and myself, what is a non-negotiable? See, there are things that are forgivable because everything is forgivable. Everything is forgivable. But forgiveness does not mean the restoration of intimacy. So I can forgive someone a grave misstep, a huge injury. That doesn't mean I'm going to restore the relationship because I'm not God. So I may not be able to be in relationship with them. That doesn't mean I don't forgive. So I have to understand the shades of gray and be thankful that as an adult, I have the choice as to who I trust, how much I trust, and even if I want to trust. So trustworthy people... They take responsibility for their mistakes. They are humble. They apologize without excuses or blame. They manage their defensiveness. 
and they are truthful. They feel bad, they care if they hurt you, and they take seriously what hurts you. So ask yourself, do I trust God? Do I trust myself? Do I trust others? And it's natural for humans to want to trust other humans first before they trust themselves and before they trust an intangible entity like God. But it is where hope truly lies. The virtue accomplished when I learn to trust is hope. I trust in hope, and I have hope for my life. So I want you to really think about this issue of trust. What are the areas I need to work on? Do I not trust myself? What do I need to do to be more trustworthy with myself? That helps me be more trustworthy with others. What do I need to forgive myself for and others for? What are my expectations? Are they appropriate expectations of people? Do I have no shades of gray where if you don't call me back, I get just as hurt or mistrust you just as much as if you stole money from me? Do I not know the different gradations of trespass? So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and I pray that you become a more trustworthy person as you wisely trust those around you and that you always trust God first. Make sure you check out my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week, and God bless you. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.